This is exactly right. This is what matters. Teaching her how, what is a reasonable way for a loving person to talk to you? That's the game we're playing. We're playing the like, this is how you, this is how loving people engage. This is the most important thing I could ever give you. And so I said to her, I'm sorry, I I totally lost my mind. You should never let anyone talk to you like that. No boyfriend, no teacher, no coach. No one should talk to you like that ever in your life. No boss, no husband, nobody. And And not me either. And I'm sorry. Welcome to Parent Footprint with Dr. Dan. I'm Dr. Dan. This show is about making the world a more loving, accepting, and compassionate place, one parent, one person, and one child at a time. The key to raising healthy and engaged kids is for parents to seek the same in their own lives while striving to be the best versions of themselves each day. No matter who you are or where you came from, with increased awareness, You can be purposeful about leaving a healthy footprint for your children, your family, and all those you care about while living your own life to the fullest. Today's show is Motherhood and Transitions with Kelly Corgan. Kelly is a four-time New York Times bestselling author, the host of PBS's long-form interview show, Tell Me More, and the podcast, Kelly Corgan Wonders, which has just crossed 11 million downloads. 13. 13 million downloads. Yesterday. Man, yesterday. So clearly this came from two weeks ago because things are (laughs) blowing up. Yeah. O Magazine Magazine calls Kelly the voice of a generation. And Huffington Post says Kelly is our poet laureate of the ordinary. Wow. Kelly, welcome to the show. Hey, how are you? I am great, and I am excited. Um, I have, My wife and I are big fans of your work. We are fellow Bay Area people, even though I know you. I believe you got out recently. Right, I drifted away you after drift- I became an empty nester. I couldn't stay in yes, that. Yes, which is, sad. well, that's, and that's one of our topics of today. Um, so I just want to say we've enjoyed your work, your books, your podcasts. We've gone to your fundraiser at um, the uh, UCSF Children's Hospital. Um, so just really appre- have appreciated your work um, as a local person and as a very non-local and um, sprawling influence on our world. Oh, thanks a lot. That's really nice. Empty nest. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I, I'm first, this term is so interesting, empty nest. And I've heard some other terms recently. I wanted to run by you to see what you thought mm-hmm. about them. Okay. Um, one of them is, so the idea, some people are saying like empty nest feels so, so um, like depleting and diminished and sad and like our life is over as it like it's just we're empty we're empty and so these other folks were talking about um bird launchers (laughs) (laughs) okay right a little more like like i'm gonna rate these for you so give give me okay bird launchers or emerging eagles I'm not, I'm not vote. I'm not going to vote for either of those. Although I understand sort of the underlying concept that it's the emphasis is on what's lost, not what's gained or what might yet be to come. Yes. And that's probably right. I mean, free birds, a friend of mine said free birds. I was like, that's working for me. But you know, probably because I'm of a certain age where we screamed free bird at the end. What song is it you want to hear? Free bird. Yeah, Yeah. Um, And, you know, I think that probably each person has a different timestamp on how long it takes them to transition from the idea being something around loss Mm -hmm. to embracing what is now possible that hasn't been possible for, you know, almost two decades. 
the thing that I felt the most was something is ending here and it will not come again. Mm. And this thing that is ending is the thing that I had been most looking forward to in life. Like for whatever reason, you know, that's what I wanted above all. I wanted to be a mom mm -hmm. and, and I wanted to have a family. I wanted to have four by 40. That was like my mantra, four kids by the time I turned 40. And I had two and then I got diagnosed with breast cancer and was in chemotherapy on and off for two years. And that was the end of that. My ovaries went the whole deal. Mm -hmm. And that was a huge loss for me, even, even in the context of this larger victory, which is to say I became healthy again. And it's, it's not something I ever think about except for maybe during breast cancer awareness month, or maybe if I'm asked to give a little talk, Otherwise, I almost forget that it happened. It's been almost 20 years for mm. one and two when when I found this enormous seven centimeter tumor in my breast. I was actually in the bathtub with them. That's how little they were. It was just like easier to get in than it was to try to stay dry on the side. Yeah. And I, I felt that that time where we were together under the same roof and cooking and fighting and learning and adjusting and discovering was kind of in my mind, it was like the highlight of my life. Mm -hmm. And also so many mistakes are made as you well know. Yes. Not because you're so flawed, but because you talk <laughs> to a lot of people about parents. <laughs> we and are hum human. Yeah, the, the, this is a kind of a it's kind of a cannonball run, and in the silence after it's over and they're gone, I felt um, a strong sense of reflection, and which sometimes brought me to a place of regret. Mm -hmm. There were things that I, I wish I could do again, that I wish I could have done better, that I wish I could have done more calmly, more patiently, with a bigger sense of humor about it all. Totally, and. You know, I was a little like white knuckling it at times. And so the other piece of it for me was this sense of like, oh, I could have done, I could have done a better job. I could have given you more. I could have been, I could have emphasized, I could have done a better job emphasizing what mattered and letting go of all the rest. You know, like I just took it too seriously. I, I, I didn't have that the kind of the looseness with which I approach all other parts of my life. Mm -hmm. I'm actually not type A in any other way. And I'm super comfortable with failure and, and throwing spaghetti against the wall and seeing what sticks. Like I don't, I don't, I don't lose track very often that there are 8 billion people here and it doesn't really matter like what any one of us is <laughs> trying, even if we're, failing in public. Like, I just don't really care. There's so many people in the public sphere and there's so much going on there. That's so much more important than anything I may or may not be able to pull off in my tiny world. But with parenting, I couldn't achieve that same like detached, benevolent vibe. Like it really felt like it mattered. It really felt yeah. like it mattered that they wore sunblock and that they say please and thank you yeah. and that they write thank you notes to every single person and that they hand in, they know how to hand in a paper and that they do their little exercises to help their knees when they have shin splints and, you know, just everything felt too loaded. And I wish I could, I wish I could deconstruct it and put it all back together again one more time. Did you know this at the time? Or is this upon reflection or, 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 you know, sequential reflections through their different periods of life? We went to a wedding this summer, my husband and I, and we were, went to the rehearsal dinner and we were seated across the table from this lovely couple who was maybe 35 and they had their first kid. Hmm. And my husband and I were just stepping over each other to give them advice. Yeah. And what I was hearing with like my, my, you know, sort of meta observing eye and ear was, oh my God, we both want to do it again. <laughs> I'm not the only one. Yeah. And so I think it has become sort of clearer and more crystallized over time. But even then, you know, 
I felt like I would lose myself to an emotion, anger, frustration, disappointment, just so heavy on a kid. That's such a heavy emotion to put on a kid. And then I would recover a, a better point of view, a broader perspective, a, a lighter, a lighter touch. So then I would feel guilty because I was so uneven. And I had heard a very persuasive argument early on that even if you're too much of a hard ass, being consistently whatever you are, mm -hmm. kids can adjust to that. And that's actually weirdly comforting. It's like, I know what she's going to do. It's predictable. I know if I leave my saxophone at school, she's going to be mad. Mm -hmm. But it's worse for me to be mad one day and then the next time be like, oh, honey, don't worry about it. People forget things all the time. Your father just left a suitcase on an airplane. Like, let's go down and get it. Like, that's more unnerving. So then I had like this double guilt. Right. That I had taken it too seriously, but that I didn't take it too seriously consistently. Oh, man. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yes. So how that, Dr. Dan? Yes. At all in perspective. For yes. Me. What I, okay. I have, I have so, many, me. so many thoughts. So many thoughts. Okay. There is this So, first of all, I relate very mm -hmm. much to what mm -hmm. you're saying. And there is this duality of our experience and guilt and regret in the micro moments and the macro moments of parenting. I say the caring, conscientious parent, the people that are really taking, you know, taking it seriously. And then there's our children's experience of us and their upbringing. And when I listened recently to your conversation with uh, Mary Louise Kelly, which was awesome, and um, I had the privilege of also having a conversation with her, the stories that so that align was when she asked her, you know, she she had she had a lot of life pressures on her and was away because of all of her um, great important things she was doing in the world of journalism and correspondence. And she asked her kid that big question, like, you know, basically, did I do okay, so to speak? And did I let you down? And it was like, deep thought. No, you're good. I think you're good. Yeah, everything's fine. Like so, I, and then he was yes. like, "You got ten bucks for Chipotle." Chipotle, yeah, Chipotle. That's meet my need. All I need is some Chipotle. Yeah. So I'm wondering. I beat myself up a lot um, for similar reasons, um, and especially as someone who spend his days with kids and families and parents, you know doing my best to support their lives and coming home and being human and sometimes getting it right. And sometimes having my kids literally say to me, uh, dad, given what you do, I can't believe you just said that right now. Mm -hmm. Right. Like, it, so what is the, how, how do we reconcile our own criticism, regret, and with how our kids actually think, how we think they feel and their, their experience of growing up with us? So two huge things. One is um, like repair is, is such a huge opportunity and is maybe like the super skill of all super skills. Like if you think about over the course of a lifetime, if you were good at repair, interpersonal repair, you would have like a, a materially better life experience. It would affect everything. You could your work would be different your your of course your your marriage or your partnership your relationship with your most important people and also your relationship with your outer ring you know your weak ties like being able to say oh i'm sorry i was wrong about that I, no you're right i like it let's do it that way and i'm sorry i was i talked over you i shouldn't do that go ahead say it again let me listen this time like all those micro moments of repair mm -hmm. really could change the quality of your experience on earth. So it's a super skill. It's, it gives back a thousand ways and it is there for you. You know, you could say to a kid like, and I have, I've said, um, it, you know, and casually and more sincerely and earnestly, 
have said, um, I took it so seriously. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry. I, yeah. I, I should have known that you were just a okay. Mm-hmm. And you really didn't need that much intervention or prodding. And I, you know, it's like on the job learning and I, I, uh, you know, and I've said all the very true things like, you know, that was my dream. That was my dream. Mm -hmm. And you were my dream and you are my dream. And like, that's, that's what Matt, you're what matters to me. And Mm -hmm. I don't think I was, I don't think I was perfect. I just don't want you, Georgia or Claire to think that I'm walking around in the world giving myself a big old pat on the back because I just so good at it. Like I was, I mean, the love is constant and without question. And, but everything else shy of that, like was a little bit of a shit show. And then the other piece is that now that my kids, I have one kid all the way through college and working and I have another kid as a junior. And when you're, and I forgot this because I had the same exact experience when I went to University of Richmond in 1985, is when you're in college and you're comparing notes with friends, the, the sort of smaller errors that the that a conscientious and caring parent is is doomed to make mm-hmm. repeatedly are mice nuts compared to some of the things they're going to hear from their friends. And that's, I'm sorry for the kids who's, who had really deeply difficult childhoods, Mm -hmm. which were riddled by like abuse or addiction or dot, 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 like really big capital letter stressors, Mm -hmm. adverse childhood experiences. There you go. The ACE. But it puts it into context. Like there's no question in my kids' minds that I love them. Mm -hmm. I love them. Mm -hmm. And I would lay down, I would lay out for those kids and they know it. Mm -hmm. I'm never too busy. I'm never not committed. Like my, I, I can apply the whole my whole intellect and all my life experience and every conversation I've ever had, which is considerable because I do what you do. Mm -hmm. So I can apply what I've learned from 400 interviews, what I've learned from 56 years and like all of the love and and loving energy I have for them as individuals. Like that's a lot I could bring to bear if they should need it. The Mm -hmm. trick is that they need it like one one hundredth of the time that I would have guessed they might have needed it. Like I've been practicing. Yeah. I've been getting ready. I have like untapped potential as a parent (laughs) and an advisor. Yeah. It is going to stay untapped Mm. because that is the weirdest mind bending thing about parenthood is that here you are with all of this terrific energy and life experience and you are ready to parcel it out in these very carefully communicated and considered packages. Emotionally and regulated the whole time, of course. Nobody yes. is there. Yeah, nobody no one's listening. No one's listening. Mail. It's right. like there's a pile of mail in front of their doors and they're yeah. like, I don't even go out that door. I never even saw it. I'm not interested. Got to figure it out for myself. And it's like, well, what is a person to do then with this encyclopedic knowledge that is backed up by all this tremendous energy. Like, where is it to go? Okay, I have an idea. I think you should have a podcast, a TV <laughs> show. I should write a book. Like, maybe another book, which I know there's some coming. Um, okay, this is, yes, yes. So I have uh, one thing to say is mission accomplished. Like there's, there's, we're talking about so many things here, but raising these young people to be these young adults and you have, you're ready, you're in the wings in this new chapter and they're not needing much. And while that doesn't feel good or meet the need, maybe, wow. I, there's lots of parents that can't say that. 
right? There, yeah, so- yeah. I mean, we we live to serve. Mm-hmm. I'll, t- I'll tell you this. I'll say I'll approach it in a different way. As I said before, I was 36, I had two kids in diapers, and I had to start chemotherapy in like four days. Like I got a phone call, and then the following Monday, I was in a chair getting adromycin cytoxin for nine hours. And my mom came. And she came many, many times that fall because I did chemo for a whole day every other week. And then, you know, I was kind of useless for a couple days after each treatment. And she came and I thought after I started to get better and I could have other kinds of thoughts other than, holy shit, am I going to die? I thought in a way, this must be wonderful for her to be able to love me so actively and to contribute so much to our well-being. Like, isn't this what every parent wants to do? It's like, I, I, I'm a... I knew this guy who was in the Marines and he, when we went into Iraq, he really wanted to go. And I was like, you do? And he's like, yeah, that's what I've been training for. And it was like, I understand that desire to be of service. Mm-hmm. And I know that when my dad was dying, I felt a clarity that is really hard to come by in normal life. Mm-hmm. Like I knew that, that nothing else mattered until it was over. I knew that I didn't have to do anything, call anybody, look at my phone. Like it was just so obvious mm-hmm. what the work was and and no other work could compare. Mm-hmm. And that kind of like full on immersive devotion mm-hmm. is kind of like the highest expression of our humanity, in my opinion, for ordinary people who don't go serve in wars and, you know, who aren't, I'm just a, you're just in your regular life. Like these are the moments. Mm-hmm. This is it. And everything else is like practice or rest and recovery from such moments or on ramping to such moments. But like, if you graft a life, like there's only like five or six things that really happen where you're fully required. Only you, only you could do it. And that's when, you know, it matters that you're here. Mm-hmm. Now the rest of the time you're competing or, you know, soothing yourself or indulging yourself in some way or whatever. Like there's just a very small handful of times where it has to be you. When you hear yourself talk about being there and caring and loving and knowing, yeah, there's these micro moments of intensity and worrying about the trees when you should maybe be thinking about the forest. And you see how your kids are doing in the world. Does it give you any healing against the guilt and the should haves as you hear yourself talking about this? Sometimes, to be totally honest, I think that I talk like that to convince myself that the, the, that I am the audience for what I'm saying right now, that mm-hmm. I am trying to remind myself or convince myself that like, see the forest through the trees, see the forest through the trees, see the forest yeah. through the trees. Yeah. And I, and I, and I, and I do believe it. And I, yeah. I, I, I understand that to be true. I just like the other piece of empty nesting that I, I just find so weird Though I believe that it's correct, quote unquote, that it be this way at a, at a sort of philosophical level, I also kind of can't believe it. And I should be able to believe it because it was true for me and my mother, is that a, a 22-year-old in the workforce, like on her list of things on her mind, yeah, totally. I don't even know if I'm in the top 100. Yeah. Right? Like, yeah, totally. Yes. How did my yes. mom factor into my universe of concerns right. and interests when I was 22? Like, I don't think she did. I right. think it was like, don't forget your mother's birthday. Right. Like, that's about how much I thought about her. Like, you're just so full of. Right. 
interests that have nothing to do with this lady who lives in this house, in this town, somewhere far away. Like, you're so irrelevant. And consequently, you don't really have that much visibility into their daily life. Like, you don't really know how they're doing, which I think is so weird because everywhere I go, people say, how are the girls? And I'm like, I don't know. How would I know that? Yeah, you tell me. You follow them on Instagram. They don't tell me that much. Yes, like. I don't know how they are. I have to see like on Tuesday, I talked to her at four o'clock. She seemed pretty good then. Like, but yeah, yeah she's 20. Like she's yeah. good and bad. Every part of every day she's horrible. And every day she's great. And every week, you know, she has 17 moments where she's like, I hate everything. And yeah. 22 where she's like, this is the greatest time of my life. You know, like they're crazy. They're, they're 20. Yeah. I, I can't. There's so many times I remember in a uh, therapy consultation situation with parents of teenagers and young adults who are saying, like, I can't believe they're doing this to me and I can't believe they would do this. And aren't they thinking about the impact on me? And I'd say, okay, time out. Here's the deal. They're not even thinking about you to have enough intention to hurt you. You're like not even in the picture, not in a bad way, but they're living their life. And yes, that decision could maybe not be the best thing for you or how it looks to your friends or family, but it's not about you. And that's what, that's what, um, I've been hearing you more and more talk about, um, in these conversations that you've been having about how much we have to come to terms with. It isn't about us anymore. Like that's what, that's what it ends. Like it's not, not that it ever was about us, but we clearly really have a role, but we clearly had a role. We had a there job. Was a moment where you yes. were the only one who could soothe them. Yes. And that is a glorious moment to go back to those like high impact handful of moments in a whole lifetime. Like there is a moment where it's like only you can soothe this kid. Only you can feed this kid. I mean, there was time mm-hmm. where only I could feed this child. That is, that is intense. And the asymmetry of how much I'm thinking about her and she's thinking about me is outrageous. <laughs> I mean, it's like, it could be more than a thousand to one. Mm-hmm. And the amount we talk, I mean, my husband and I talk about our children every single day. We did this experiment where I was like, let's see what it would be like. Like we just talked to her on the phone, got a little download. Sounds great. Good. Bye-bye. And then I would say to Edward, let's try to not talk about her until Saturday. Mm-hmm. So it's Tuesday today. Let's just not bring up her name mm-hmm. until Saturday. Let's not speculate. Wonder what she's doing tonight. I wonder how that thing turned out. I wonder if she remembered to yep. clean the shower. Nothing. Like, let's just not touch that topic yes. <laughs> for four days and like, let it come down a little bit in our consciousness. Did How'd that work? It, it's it's a very worthwhile exercise. You did very it. You were a, you were able to do it. Four days, yeah, not talking. Not. We probably didn't okay. get. We probably for like Friday afternoon. I was like, I wonder. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. And it doesn't mean that you're not thinking about them, but I do feel like thoughts and words and actions are, of course, all tied to each other. And so, mm-hmm. to reduce one of those is to reduce the other two. So to reduce the number of words that we're spilling about Georgia or Claire will ultimately reduce the amount of thoughts and the amount of actions. Because the other thing that sometimes we say to each other is let's not talk to her until Sunday. Like let's try to let more days go between touching base just to give her time without us in her head. Like somebody said to me once, they're trying to live a life where you're not in their head. You're not, they don't Mm -hmm. hear you all the time on their shoulder. Like the little angel who's saying, don't forget, you know, you need to eat your protein and a little fresh air will make the day go better and maybe try magnesium, you know? And (laughs) if you hang up your dress in the shower, while you're taking a shower, all the wrinkles will come out and all the things that we, all this stuff that we've been saving for them, these little notes Uh, and ideas and suggestions You just have to throw them into the wind and let them Mm -hmm. fly away. Mm -hmm.
a long time ago, my wife and I were on our honeymoon in Central America, and mm -hmm. we were in this beautiful jungly place with a like a thatchy place we were staying in, and this shared natural hot tub like by a few of the huts outside. And we're in there with this older couple, and it's very small, so you're kind of talking to each other, and they're talking about how much they miss their kids and how they think they're gonna cut their trip a couple days short because they really feel like they need to get home. And my wife and I are like, you know, being polite and with them and engaging. And then afterward at dinner, can you believe them? Can look where we are. They're talking about their kids. They're going to cut their vacation short. What, like, what is, what is up? You know, just fast forward two or three years, we're having like the same conversations, right? There's this thing that happens that it can become, it's, can become all consuming. And then over time, we don't get the memo. I think of that country song, Last Time for Everything. You don't get the memo when they're not going to sleep with you ever again. Mm -hmm. You're not going to read to them in their bed ever again. Mm -hmm. And as you point out, it's like, it's like all of a sudden you're on this ivy drip that just drips less, drips less, drips less. And then there's drop off or move out or military, wherever the, wherever they go. Or they get a spouse and they're like not coming home for Christmas. Right. And that's it. And you can kind of have a funny feeling that the spouse doesn't really like you. <laughs> like that's a, that's a whole oh, nother, that's thing. a whole nother thing. You know I mean? That's but a whole nother thing. To, Moms who are like, oh, I don't think yeah. that kid is really yeah. their whole scene. And then going back to what you said, there's this whole thing that, okay, wait, wait, we're done. We're done. And yet it was totally fine to be the kid and be done in that way with our parents. Like we didn't even think about that. Like, cause we're just living our life and that's what we're supposed to be doing. And so it's this eat, like it just, the pen, it just, the pendulum turns and it's like, wait, 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 what, wait, what I'm in that situation now. I didn't even I know. know. I didn't even know I put my parents in that situation. And also, I, I mean, I was stupidly like, I mean, I'm just so much cooler than my mom. Like yeah. they're going to want to be around me because I'm just For so sure. much cooler than my mom. My mom, in terms of like generational divides, like I never listened to my mom's music. We would mm -hmm. never wear the same sweater. We would never like the same food. You know, my girls and I are like, oh, let's get sushi or like, oh, I love that. Can I borrow that? Or, you know, I mean, the the music stuff. I mean, my right. mom was listening to like K Sera Sera and Perry Como. And I listened to the same stuff the girls listen to. Right. So culturally, like there's just been a huge shift. But, you know, one thing I've been thinking about lately that I find really helpful is. If you if you say. It felt good to be in these very intimate relationships. Like if you take if you take the kids out of it as individual people in the world, but rather just abstract it one layer to like, what was it that I liked? It was like I liked being in kind of intense, complex relationships that were teaching me a lot. So then it's like, okay, well, you can find that. That's available to you. And if you liked helping people or giving to people or being useful, which is really like the thing I'm addicted to. Mm -hmm. There are plenty of people to give your love to. So just let, if you, if, if you decide to create the space by letting them be less interested in you and less a part of your flow, right. And over, over there doing whatever they're doing, however they're doing it mm -hmm. to whatever ends, and you can shift your focus to your very best friends or your parents or your new town where you live or a new project that you're doing. Like the, the emotional states are still available to you, even though mm -hmm. like the parent child thing is so singular. Yeah. The, the, the state of feeling useful, totally available to me. Mm-hmm. Every I know so many people that are in a state of need right now who I love dearly, who I'm happy to like be a backboard for them. Just let them vent to me, you know, give them the mm -hmm. sort of love and validation that they deserve. No problem. 
I, I could do that all day long. And so if that's what I'm missing, it's still available. I don't have to, and I don't have to grieve it because although I am not going to get it from Georgia and Claire, right? I can certainly get it from other relationships. So I think you just laid out the ingredients for transitioning. It is. It's like reinvest, totally reinvest in what you do have, mm. whatever work you have, whatever community you're a part of, whatever energy you've got, like there are homes for all of it mm -hmm. in your life now. And I mean, it's hard to worry too much about anything when you're in service. Like that's my big feeling about a lot of things like about mm -hmm. say therapy mm -hmm. is I think, oh, better to devote those hours to just service, like to lose yourself rather than to turn toward yourself and say, how, how do I really feel? Mm -hmm. you know, what, what's going on for me? Well, it's like, mm, or, or let go of yourself entirely and point everything toward some other target. It might, it might be just as soothing. You've described the the goodbyes, the different college goodbyes with the mm -hmm. girls at different times and with the like intense, you know, snotty breakdown cry and then, you know, pulling it back together for the the goodbye. Mm -hmm. Do you did you find there was ongoing levels or continuing levels of ongoing grief? Like how does it how does how do you transition or how have you transitioned? Well, so I've written these, these um, essays for the New York times and I think yes. I've written four of them. And one of them was about letting go of Claire. One of them was about trying to give Georgia my last set of um, suggestions and advice. One of them was about how to celebrate a kid who just did something hard, like applying to college. Um, and I have thought about contributing another one that's about the 10th goodbye. Hmm. Cause I just haven't seen that. I haven't seen that mm -hmm. sort of deep dive into that moment. And it's definitely, and it definitely changes. Of course you acclimate, everybody acclimates. Thank God. It's one of the great, mm -hmm. one of the great assets of, humanity that you don't really have to earn. It just kind of happens naturally that you get more used to things. But also there's, there's something that happens between the first goodbye and the 10th goodbye, which is releasing your previous version of who they were and creating space to actually receive who they are this time. Like the, somebody told me once on the, on my pod that, uh, the, you know, the huge growth zero to 36 months. And then the other period of growth that rivals those first three years of life is 18 to 21, just massive, crazy development. And as you're coming into your prefrontal cortex, which supposedly doesn't fully come online until you're 25. So mm -hmm. all this moment is enormous. And it'd be such a shame if you were so locked into the 18 year old version of your kid that you missed like, Oh, look at that. Mm -hmm. She doesn't do that thing anymore. Or she does this other thing now. Or did you notice? And so one of the things that happens on the 10th goodbye is that there's a little pride swirled in there. Mm -hmm. You're like, you're interesting. Yeah. You are interesting to me. You are mm -hmm. curious. To me. You are funnier than you used to be, which means that you're more comfortable in your body than you used to be, which means that you're more confident than you used to be. Like, which means you trust me more than you trusted me before. Like you, you, you know, so kind of allowing yourself the opportunity to kind of revel yeah. And what is standing right before you and how that's evolving, that can be a really fun emotional state to swim around in. Mm -hmm. Dr. Kenneth Ginsburg, um, well oh, we had him did you have him too? Yeah. So one of the messages on his, uh, I guess his last book was, uh, 
congrats, you're having a teen where he dispels a lot of myths about teenagers. And one of the things that has was very helpful to me, and I know many of our listeners and clients is said, you know, don't most of your relationship, if everything goes as it should, the the years are with your kids as adults. That that, that relationship fought, are decades longer than your relationship with them as children. And to look at the long haul as we're going about these bumps and these worries and this loss and this grieving, it's like you're going to have a lot of time with them. And it's all about the relationship. That changes, but it's all about the relationship. Yeah. Yeah. I um, tell you one thing that having pretty serious cancer at a young age, it really undoes the assumption that you're going to have this long life. Mm -hmm. So like uh, most days, I think uh, I'm going to live till I'm 80, but there is this awareness in me that it's like, "Mm, maybe like hopefully, Mm -hmm. hopefully you get all that payback over time. But I mean, every single reading I do, there's some little old lady who comes up to me and like grabs my hands at the end and says, I had cancer 45 years ago. And look at me, I'm out on a Tuesday night going to a reading and it fills me up, but I, I, you know, I did lose a friend at, who was 46 with an eight-year-old and a 10-year-old and a 12-year-old. So I don't, mm-hmm. you know, I, I just think about her a lot and I think you don't always get that. So, it, so yes, hopefully. Yes. Nine times out of 10. Most yeah. people no, I, I, live a long time. I hear what you're hopefully saying. Hopefully we'll all be one of them. Well, and you're also bringing this really important perspective of we don't know how much time we have. Yeah. And I think for those of us who are um, thinkers to a strength and to a fault, you know, over analyzers and over analyzers, there's a could really get lost with like ideally, it's that mindfulness practice of we're living in the present and we are accepting what is and we are making the best of what is. And it's really easy, as we all know, to both future trip and worry and live in the past of that regret and I wish I should have. And it's this balance of how do you, how do you hold on to these, these precious moments? I, I was listening to um, one of your recent podcasts. Um, I think it was with uh, The Humble Parent with Julie Lithcock, Lith, Lithcott Haynes, great person, how to raise an adult. Um, and you're talking about you know, how much time do we really have? Like, how much time do I get this year? Like, with, with her, with them? Like, days. a couple some days, right? Some days. Yeah. Some days. Yeah. And, and, and when we think about our needs versus their needs, they're often wanting to come home and just be in a comfortable place and not have maybe the stressors of the world and smell some of the smells and get a snuggle, but they may not want to maximize their quality time with us the way we're like, we're, we're puppy dogs. <laughs> we're ready. We're ready. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. yeah. See that? No, sure. I mean, I'll take you. Okay. <laughs> Do you want to have friends over? Love to see you. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So annoying. So annoying. We're so annoying. Yeah. I know. Love is annoying. Love makes us mm-hmm. a little annoying whatever yes 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 yes, agree yes. To all, agree to all i love julie yes. we've done tons of podcasts together and there's so i know they're here. so good they're so good and when i was listening to you talk about and both of you talking about your approaches you know uh, now and your evol- your evolving selves as people and as as parents and and how you've let go and that they're these other humans and you're not even a parent anymore. You're like, you're, you're this other thing to them. I actually thought a lot about your dad. Mm. I thought about Greenie. And there is a, in, I believe it's in Tell Me More, where you talk about um, this time in your life when you were maybe focused on yourself and weren't seeing the big picture. And I think it was like 20s. Because I say, my wife and I say this, to her all the time, like bring this up, like maybe this should be our response to our kids who are very similar ages to yours. Um, I think Greeny said to you, like, that's okay, sweetie, you'll figure it out. Mm-hmm. You know, it was this kind of like this, you'll figure it out when you're ready. Mm-hmm. Not I'm coming in to save you. I'm coming in to tell you how to do this. Mm-hmm. 
And I, I felt from a lot of the things I've been listening to you talk about in this transition, is you doing a similar thing with your girls? Like on the best day, that yeah. that is the answer. You'll figure it out. You know mm -hmm. more than I do. Mm -hmm. it, it is. But, you know, I think it's sometimes I feel like it's a little bit of an occupational hazard. And I wonder if you feel this way, like to do this podcasting thing and to be mm -hmm. in conversation with people all the time, reflecting on life experiences and our most important relationships. You you do kind of have like a lot of stuff on the tip of your tongue. Mm -hmm. And so it I think it feels even harder to say like when they bring you something to not like pounce on it as like, Ooh, I know this one. Let me tell you, I answer, you know, like you're the kid in the right. class with your right. arm up. I got it. I got it. Here's what you do. Yeah. With friends, you yeah. really want to, you know, instead of just conveying to them, like what my husband and I call it the face of love, like the greenie, my dad would just, you know, if I brought him something like that, he'd just be like this. This is this <laughs> big huge, smile. Like, yeah. Big, huge smile, like lovey. Yeah. I can't wait to see what you do. Yes, lovey. That's it. It's lovey, lovey. Yes, yes. And yeah. So his like the thing that I could I can summon his voice in my ear whenever I want of him saying you're a special girl, lovey. You mm -hmm. it out. Mm -hmm. And it's like the, that combination of like you have it, you have what you need, and you'll figure it out is a lot like that's probably all you need to say every single time, yeah. but it's kind of hard to resist the opportunity to be like, Oh, I have a little anecdote that's mm. just right for this moment. Totally. So, Claire, let me tell you when I was a junior in college, <laughs> you know, and it's like, Oh God. Oh, but no, but then sandwich that very helpful anecdote with some really wise thing you just heard from an expert in the field from who you just interviewed. Like, I mean, what a beautiful sandwich. Let me give you a personal experience that yeah. let me tell you what the experts say about this. That's why I think it's an occupational hazard. Exactly. Like my girls, so there's this neuroscientist I, I, and I've interviewed her a couple of times. I'm interviewing her again. Her name is Lisa Feldman Barrett, top 1% of scientists cited worldwide. She's like, yeah. Yes. And she wrote this incredible book called How Emotions Are Made. And it completely shifted everything for me. And I am constantly LFBing my kids. I'm like, well, you know what Lisa Feldman Barrett says. Well, you know, I was talking <laughs> LF being, it's a verb. It's a verb. It is. Okay. I yeah. LFB them. Yeah. And I mean, I LFB Tammy, my podcast producer. Like, we LFB each other. Like, yeah. <laughs> so God help us when we find like terra firma like yeah. ideological terra firma. It, mm -hmm. It's like, it seems to apply to everything. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I'm, my kids are like, uh-huh. Okay, good. So the neuroscience says, plus, you know, the, the other thing I try to remind myself that I think is a good incentive to zip it is you're stealing their satisfaction. Yes. Because there is no deeper satisfaction mm -hmm. than untying the knot yourself. It's like one thing, you know, you so take true. your jewelry out and it's all knotted yeah. Yeah. and then you just slowly and methodically undo it. Like there's yeah. a deep human satisfaction available to someone in that moment. And either you're going to steal it or you're going to let them do it. And if you let them do it, that great feeling is theirs. And that's a compounding experience. I mean, once you do it, mm -hmm. the next time you're like, no, I can do this. I've done this before. Like, so then you're stealing like the building blocks of this compounding, you know, self-efficacy. And yes. that's really a terrible thing to do to a kid. Let them own themselves. Yes. And it's fine. And everything's fine. They don't, fine. they're going to do it. They're going to screw it all up and then they're going to fix it all. And like, most of the time, you know, some, some experts we've had on the show, like this guy, George Bonanno, who is a big time scientist and researcher at Columbia. He, he dispels some great myths. And one is that like resilience is rare. Hmm. He's like, resilience isn't rare. Like right. almost everybody rebounds, almost everybody, like in the eighties, 80% plus mm -hmm. people bounce back from almost everything. Horrible things. Right. 
breakups and failures and not getting into any college and getting cut from a team and right. all the things that you might be trying to fender benders, losing all their money on a stupid online bet, mm-hmm. trying drugs, almost everybody, almost everybody bounces almost every single time. Yeah. Like that, that does a lot for me. Yeah. That helps me. Yes. And if I marry that to like, don't steal their satisfaction. Nice. Like, and don't undermine nice. their self-efficacy. Like if I tie the three of those things together in my mind fast enough, I can beat myself to the desire to advise. Boom. <laughs> That's it. Well, I don't do that. I mean, you should know. I'm going to give you George's phone number and Claire's phone number. Yeah. And you'd be like, hey, I just want to say, yeah. your mom yeah. said, like, how? Yeah. They'd be like, she's at 40%. She yeah. 40%. Hey, I think, uh, remember, Hall of Fame baseball's uh, 333, right? Thank so, you very much. So there you go. Hall of Fame. Kelly Corgan, parent Hall of Fame. <laughs> no. Okay, Kelly. Um, so much more to discuss and no time to do so. So, we're at the parent footprint moment question. Yeah. Here we go. Tell us about a time that you became aware of yourself as an individual, as a parent, or even an awareness of your own parents. And that new awareness had a positive impact on your life, your kids, and or those you love. One time, I was really mad because Georgia had this pain in her knees. And so we took her to Children's Hospital Oakland, which is the place I've devoted so much of my energy to. Mm -hmm. And she went to physical therapy and it was kind of expensive. We had to pay out of pocket. And then of course, like physical therapy completely depends on you doing it between your sessions. So you don't just do it once a week with physical therapists, like piano or something like you're supposed to practice. And it became just this source of endless nagging every day. I'd be like, did you do physical therapy? Did you do physical therapy? And, and then I was so frustrated because the, the thing she wanted, which was to play lacrosse, was inhibited by her unwillingness to do these stupid exercises, which was probably inhibited by her disbelief that it would work. Mm-hmm. You know, it takes a minute to really believe that like, I mean, I don't do it. I don't do any exercises. I don't do any stretching. I, I know so much information about how to live a long, healthy life. And I completely flout all of it. And except for drinking and sleep, I don't drink and I sleep. I really pay you sleep. That's good. sleep. Yes. Um, but I, I flipped out on her. I yelled at her really bad way too much for like a seventh grader. And we were in our kitchen and I, as I finished yelling, and it was probably like 30 seconds of like a full volume heat blast. I saw this mom, I vaguely knew, like go for her little pep step walk past my house. And because I saw her, I saw, then I saw myself from her point of view. I saw the scene, you know, inside this window of this house where this mom is like flipping out over a seventh grader, not doing her PT exercises. Like what percentage of adults do you think do their PT exercises? Like the expectation that I had on this kid was so stupid and wrong and way over the top. And I saw myself and I thought, oh my God, Kelly, why are you taking this so seriously? Like, so it, it, it like snapped me out of it. And it was like, who cares? Like if she doesn't ever play lacrosse again, or she doesn't play this season, or she doesn't play in the big game, like who cares? Mm -hmm. Like this is what matters. Mm -hmm. Teaching her how, what is a reasonable way for a loving person to talk to you? That's the game we're playing. We're not playing the like, see how your lacrosse season can go game. We're playing the like, this is how you, this is how loving people engage. This is the most important thing I could ever give you. 
And so I said to her, I'm sorry, I, I totally lost my mind. You should never let anyone talk to you like that. No boyfriend, no teacher, no coach. No one should talk to you like that ever in your life. No boss, no husband, nobody. And, no, and not me either. And I'm sorry. Repair. I hope. I hope. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. This, the theme that I'm, one of the many themes I'm hearing is not to take these things so seriously and to do our best in the moments to let our kids have their own satisfaction to repair when we've blown it because if we care and are conscientious we are going to blow it and now being on the other side try to just hold on to those moments the best you can because there's a whole new relationship with new rules and it, it it's, and it's new all, players it's new players right new players and face of love like yeah. a, you you get through life on face of love mm-hmm. yeah. you know fewer words yeah more smiles talk less smile more mm-hmm Thank you for sharing your experiences, your wisdom, and um, and just what you are putting out in the world, which I now know some of the ingredients of your transition we all do now is to is to serve, to 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 love, to care, to invest yourself in new places, in old people, new people, new activities. Because our world needs so much love, caring, and service. There is just not enough to go around. You bet. Agreed. Tell everyone where to find many of the things you are you are doing and whatever you want to tell us about what's in the works here because we know now that there are 13 million, just surpassed 13 million views on your podcast. You have your show. Tell, tell us what's going on. So you can watch all the PBS episodes. They're 50 with people like David Byrne and Brian Stevenson and Samantha Power and Judd Apatow, Steve Kerr, if you're a Warriors fan. Um, yes. And that's all on pbs.org slash Kelly. Then the podcast is called Kelly Corrigan Wonders. We put out a long interview every Tuesday, and then we do a short bit on Friday. That's just something I learned that I want to pass along. And then every Sunday we read a eulogy that's been sent in by a listener. Mm. And so the pod is Kelly Corrigan wonders. And then as for books, you know, you can just Google me and they'll pop up. And there's more coming. Some things are coming. Someday. Yes. Someday. Yes. Someday. Thanks, Kelly. Thanks. Dan. Appreciate this. Thanks for listening, everyone. I know you are thinking about lots of people you are going to share this episode with. And it's not just for the people who are the empty nesters or the bird launchers or whatever we're going to call these people like us. It's also for the people who are in any phase of life to really try to focus on what's important and live with lightness as much as possible in this very complex world we are living in these days. And to remember that these kids are just doing what they do, which is growing up and figuring out how to be in the world just like you did. Thank you for your five-star reviews. Thank you for being a part of our community. We have such an amazing, caring community. You know what I'm going to ask you to do. Try to be that person you want your child to become and ask yourself the guiding question, what footprint do you want to leave? This has been a Peters and Rossi production. Parent Footprint with Dr. Dan is produced by Laura Rossi. Our engineer is Phil Rossi. Theme music is Strummerman, composed and performed by ProTunes. Artwork is by Garrett Ross. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Parent Footprint Podcast and on Twitter at Dr. Dan Peters. For more information, go to exactlyrightmedia.com.
Follow Parent Footprint with Dr. Dan on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you like to listen so you don't miss an episode. If you like what you hear, rate and review the show.